Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Up next on Inside the SECA, IMSA and the future of motorsports. Welcome to Inside the SECA. Today's episode is a little different than our normal fare. I was fortunate to be asked to host three sessions at this year's SECA convention, and I'm really happy to be able to share them with you. Also in this episode, I talk with SECA Corner Marshal Lynn Tolland. When we talked, he was on a break from working the Le Mans chicane, better known as the bus stop, during the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Enjoy the show. This is SCCA Connect 2022, the club's second virtual convention. This session is IMSA and the Future of Motorsports presented by Inside the SCCA Podcast. I'm Brian Belansky, the host of Inside the SCCA. I'm really excited that I was asked to lend my thoughts to three panel discussions at this year's convention. Joining me for today's discussion, Eric Prill. He's been involved with the SCCA his whole life, starting uh, out in timing and scoring at the age of 12. Since then, he's gone on to be an SCCA runoffs champion and a solo national champion. Now he's the SCCA's vice president of road racing. We're also fortunate to have with us John Doonan. He is the president of IMSA. Before that, he was director of motorsports at Mazda for eight years. As we all know, that partnership between Mazda and the SCCA, one of the most successful in all of motorsports. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Great to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity to be part of the convention and be on with my dear friend Eric and all the things that we've been able to do over the years, whether it was uh, when I was in my previous seat at Mazda or back when we were a competitor in, in uh, World Challenge and things like that. So great to see all of you and really excited to have a little chat today. Sounds great. So my thought was to get started since SECA and IMSA are, are two of the premier road racing sanctioning bodies in North America to kind of get your take on the state of road racing in 2022. Great question, because we're on the eve of the 60th running of the Rolex 24. Uh, we have a bumper crop of entries we will be uh, at 61 cars uh, come Saturday and hopefully still 61 uh, come Sunday afternoon. Um, the Michelin Pilot Championship, which is one of our other own and operated series, close to 50 cars for, for Friday's four-hour race. And then you look at our single-make championships, and the entry lists are, are on the rise year over year and over the last couple. We haven't seen a uh, entry for Rolex this large until uh, since 2014. So real positive, and I think uh, that's the top end, if you will, of the, the professional side of the sport. What I appreciate and what I follow religiously is what's happening with the Super Tour and the events that, that SCCA is running on a regular basis, i.e. the runoffs or, or any of the, the major Super Tour events that hit uh, key markets and, and favorite tracks uh, of mine like Road America in, in Elkhart Lake. And I, I'm feeling uh, maybe the best word is momentum. 
I feel a lot of momentum around the sport, um, potentially in and, and coming out of the pandemic. There's a lot of pent up energy uh, to, to get out and participate again. People realize uh, there's opportunities that maybe they had forgotten about or that they wanted to try. And I think both in Eric's case from you know, a participant standpoint and, and all of SCCA for that matter, and in our case, not only a participant, but from a fan standpoint, um, people are ready to get out and people are ready for more of what we have to offer in terms of sports car racing, both uh, with SCCA and IMSA. Eric, I guess I'll pose the same question to you. What are you seeing right now as we get ready to uh, to start the SECA season? By the time this airs, the first Super Tour will be in the books. Uh, what are you seeing right now as we get into 2022? Well, similar to what John talked about, uh, I think coming off of coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, if you would have asked us two years ago or just about two years ago, where would we be in 2022? And of course, John had just started his job uh, at IMSA and, and was thrown that curveball. Um, there was there was probably a lot of concern. Um, and the organization, uh, would we be able to have events? What would we look like a couple of years down the road? But coming out of 2021, we had the highest participation we've ever had uh, at the Hoosier Super Tour, for instance. So that being you know, our top level series throughout the season. Um, that was really fantastic to see. Uh, as John said, a lot of pent up uh, uh, excitement to get back out and do things. And we, and we saw people come out and, and participate in, in all of our activities throughout the year. Um, you know, coming off of the, the opening super tour of 2022, you know, right around 400 cars, you know, a fantastic start to the year. Um, so I, I think that things are looking very good from a, uh, from a participation standpoint, which is what SCCA is all about. And, you know, our other programs as well, Track Night in America, um, had record numbers in 2021. Um, you know, you think about the super, if the super tour is the, is the highest, uh, end of, of, uh, of our road course programs, Track Night being the entry level. So, um, we're, we're seeing it all, all throughout the SCCA, a lot of excitement. So at this point, then, I guess, you know, we're here to talk about, you know, the future of what we're doing. And I guess my question that I would ask to both of you is, how do we, uh, you know, put our arms around all of this momentum and this excitement and utilize that to help both organizations go forward and grow like we all hope hope that they will? I, I'd be happy to start. I, I think um, accessibility is one of the keys. Uh, Eric and the team, Hayward, uh, all of SCCA has done an amazing job with something like Track Night in America. I think about, you know, Eric and I grew up in similar eras with, you know, with our fathers that were competing regularly. To get a license, <laughs> you had to go to a school. There was no, frankly, I don't, I don't recall, maybe Eric does, you know, open test days. Um, and opportunities for track days and you know getting a license was a pretty significant set of steps that you had to take um, and so the accessibility piece is key and I think SECA has done an amazing job with that um, we have certainly um, made a key part of our strategy accessibility for first the fans um, when they come to an IMSA race uh, we want to open the floodgates, if you will, to allow them 
uh, open access to the garage, to the teams, to the drivers. Um, obviously, we're all racing at, at uh, street circuits or, or natural terrain road circuits where the ability to go around the uh, entire uh, facility and take uh, in the action from a bunch of different vantage points is key. So for me, it's accessibility. I also think it's awareness. You know, we, we know that uh, there's a select percentage uh, that are loyal, enthusiastic sports car racing fans, but there's a significantly bigger percentage that don't know a lot about what we have to offer uh, from the grassroots uh, opportunities and entry-level opportunities of SCCA and IMSA all the way up to the top-level uh, championships. So for me, it's, it's accessibility and I think awareness. Yeah, and if, if I could jump in, I think that that's where IMSA and SCCA really fit together well. Um, uh, you know, IMSA has a lot of fans, a lot of enthusiasts, um, and we we offer that access point of, for, for someone to come in and participate with motorsports, whether that's um, as a volunteer helping the event out, helping make the event happen, or whether it's getting behind the wheel. Um, and, and we didn't have some of these access points 10 years ago. Uh, okay. 10 years ago, like John said, I mean, um, the, the only way to get behind the wheel of a car with SCCA was to, was to go out um, to, through autocross, um, but, but to get on a racetrack, uh, you really, we, we had some track event uh, programs happening across the country, but we've really uh, revamped that and, and put a lot of energy into that. And now with our wheel to wheel program with endurance coming on, and the ability to go straight from the track programs um, and graduate up into some wheel-to-wheel -wheel competition through endurance, um, there are more access points now, and even and even uh, you know some activities that uh, that have some new energy in them, like road rally. You know, it's a different way to take in motorsports, um, and it and it really ties together well with what IMS is doing. Whether it's getting people together to travel to an event um, or 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 finding ways to potentially start a career that might land you, uh, you know, either working at an IMSA event or, or uh, participating as a team member or even as a driver. I, I look at the IMSA and the SCCA customer bases, and at the moment I see them, they're, they're fairly similar. Uh, the demographics are fairly similar. I think they skew a little bit on the older side, and we're always trying to find the new next SCCA member. And so I'm wondering, let's say, John in particular, because you guys probably have access to a lot of high-powered research that we don't always have access to, uh, how, how do you see uh, the, the, the effort to attract the younger audience who would be fans for you and possibly participants for the SCCA? Well, I think, and Eric can, uh, I think, second this, it started over a glass of lemonade right across the street at Daytona International Speedway because obviously I was super passionate about SCCA in my previous life on the Mazda side. It was the lifeblood of everything we did. And when I arrived here in Daytona Beach, um, so honored to have this, this opportunity, I talked with you know Jim France and Ed Bennett and said, you know, we need to call SCCA and we need to have a relationship there that's deep rooted. Uh, we can't exist. IMSA cannot exist without SCCA in terms of executing events. Every single one of our events 
the corner marshals, a lot of the safety folks, um, even carrying over to, to you know, some other uh, key elements of the weekend are led by SECA regional folks. And so I don't take that for granted. And that was the real impetus, I think, for, for Mike and Eric and I to sit down and say, hey, look, you know, I, I've raised my hand. We can't operate successfully without corner marshals that are properly trained through SECA. Eric and Mike said, hey, you know, we're looking at an endurance series. What could we do to collaborate? Uh, the common things of our audiences, they're all the same passion, whether they're racing a Formula V, a Spec Racer Ford, uh, or a, a, a GT car or a, a, a DPI, the, the, the word passion, it, it's all the same. It's, it's you know, um, it's shared. But for us to, um, you know, baptize new people in the sport, that's what Track Night in America does. That introduces them to the sport. They may have been attending an IMSA race and seeing it and, and wishing they could participate. Well, SECA has got the opportunity if you want to drive. SECA has got the opportunity if you want to work um, and, and engage and educate people on the opportunity that is, uh, uh, you know, sports car racing. Yeah, and I, um, I, I think that when you think about our demographics and, and Brian, back to, I think, the first part of your, your question there, I think we do have a similar demo. demo. Um, I just actually took a look at some of the market research that IMSA did last, last year. Um, and it does look very similar, you know, uh, predominantly male, average age in the late 40s, uh, a comfortable to an affluent lifestyle. Uh, but I think both of our organizations are looking for ways to become a little bit younger, a little bit more diverse, um, while, while not certainly not alienating that core fan base, or that, that core uh, membership for us. Um, and it's those access points. I mean, that's, that's what we've really been looking at over the last uh, 10 years is, is finding ways to re-engage uh, people. We, you know, we have a number of, of members that are going to be lifers. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably one of them here, um, 35, 37 years in. Um, oh, you're I, just a baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will be too a lifer, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we're probably at three lifers here, but um, you know, it, it's how do we find ways to, to bring new people in and inject uh, new ideas. Um, some of us lifers are okay with doing things certain ways that we've always done it. And that's, you know, we, we hear that phrase a lot. Well, that's the way SCCA has always done it. So that's how we're gonna continue to do it. And it's, it's being okay to change things up a little bit. It's being okay to do some of these new programs a little bit differently uh, than we've done things like that in the past. Um, it's looking at some of our specialties and maybe thinking about, okay, this works, this specialty and this activity and the way we do it works for someone that's been in the club for 30 years, but how do we make it more attractive to someone who is maybe 20 or 30 years old now? Right. Um, and I think we've got some good opportunities there. We've um, not only talked from a marketing standpoint uh, with the folks from IMSA, but also uh to, to operations folks, you know, I spent some time in race control talking with, with uh, the lead race director for IMSA last November and uh, some other folks that work in race control and, you know, how can we best support you? What are you, what are you seeing? What are you, what are you not seeing? What do you need out of us? Um, and then figure out ways that we as an organization 
can attract more people in. And then to go along with that, how do we support IMSA in a better fashion? So it's cyclical right there. Um, You know, we can, we can provide better support for IMSA at their events across the country. um, And they can uh, provide some, uh, some marketing power and some excitement into becoming involved. Right. I I know there's a lot of uh, older uh, workers and volunteers who stand on corners well into their 60s and 70s, and God bless them that they're still able to do that. But, you know, I, I've just crossed the, 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 the 50 barrier, and I, I, I don't have an interest of standing out in the sun for seven or eight hours a day anymore and then having to schlep after, you know, a car with a fire bottle. And when you look at our, our worker ranks, they are aging in a lot of areas and, and, and coming up with solutions to be able to bring in some folks to help out in those areas and finding ways to make it attractive is, is harder and harder with all the other things out there for younger folks to do. And that's a struggle for, I'm guessing all organizations, not just, not just MSA and SCCA, right? No, and, and one of the things I'd love to re-engage is a, a STEM education program. Uh, it's something we did uh, in my previous life. Uh, we took race cars to schools, high school age primarily. Uh, and I think there's a significant chance for us to uh, scoop up um, the next SECA participant, to, to Eric's point, a specialty. You know, maybe they, they live locally to you know, WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca or, you know, Hallett or Road America, and they may have ever, never, ever been there and not even understood what goes on out there and the fact that they could be up close and personal. You know, there's auto shop classes that uh, happen at, at the high school and certainly at the technical school level that I think it's incumbent upon us, and I mean us collectively um, as a sport, to try to engage uh, those individuals. They're, they're car people. Uh, there's car people out there. And if they if, if we haven't taken the steps to at least try to educate them on how they could even go deeper in their passion for the automobile, then we're missing the boat. And, and so I think uh, we've got some unique opportunities. Eric mentioned it to do some things differently uh, to try to attract that next generation of audience. What, what is IMSA doing from, I, I always kind of push to social media because that's what the younger audience tends to be interested in. Is, is SCCA using, or is uh, IMSA using tools to engage on social media? And is there anything that the SCCA can learn from what, what IMSA is doing? Well, um, it's ironic. You know, I think I started with Facebook and I feel sometimes like the, you know, the old guy in the room, gray hair, <laughs> on Facebook um, because, you know, my, my teenage kids taught me so much about all these other platforms, which uh, I couldn't even spell Instagram. And my, my factory drivers at Mazda used to call it InstaSnap because they couldn't figure out the difference between Instagram and Snapchat. Um, so I think the expanse of the different platforms has been the biggest realization uh, for me personally, but for, for us at IMSA where a platform like TikTok, which as far as I knew was, you know, teenage kids dancing and singing in front of a camera and posting that video. Um, most of the time it was a like, M- M- Millie Vanilli style where it was, uh, you know, <laughs> just uh, lip syncing. But uh, we found that TikTok actually was a tremendous platform for us. 
um, and attracted a much uh, much younger skewing audience. And so uh, it's expanding that. And then frankly, for the other thing is having young individuals who understand those platforms be the ones that are delivering the content. Um, so hard to get out of that old fashioned, um, Eric said it, you know, this is the way we've always done it. And uh, I think that area has really expanded for us. Uh, we just achieved uh, 1 million followers across all of our channels during the 21 season, which is a big milestone for us. A lot of growth potential there. The second is, and I think you know, both of us have a nice um, platform of members or fans. Uh, we need to try to use our best advocates, um, our existing members, our existing fans to help spread the word. Um, it's, it's not easy to remind people, hey, you got to help us get the word out uh, when we're in it and participating ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So is IMSA, have they hired younger folks who are doing some of the social media outreach or are you trying to find, you know, some of your younger drivers? Because I know there are a, a, an amazing group of really young drivers in some cases, especially in like the GTD class and all of that. Are you trying to push them or, or in, encourage them? Yeah, both, or both of those things, Brian. Um, we have a tremendous group of young, talented individuals here um, that are, for me, the next generation. And then I think as we look to uh, what our future looks like, it's trying to identify the next voices of the sport uh, that can educate their contemporaries on what it is and what it's all about. Uh, it's, it's also so refreshing. I've been uh, reached out to by several high school and college age kids that are doing projects for class. Uh, one individual, um, great young man, Cameron out of the Northeast, his, it's like his senior project was about a sports league that he had to cover a sports league and he chose IMSA. And how refreshing is that, that, that there are still that group of, of young, uh, enthusiastic, um, passionate, uh, individuals that, that want to or, or currently follow our, our sports and want to share it with others. And I think that's the key is um, making sure that we leverage uh, those who are knowledgeable and, and want to tell the story. One of the things I always think about now is we get into the, you know, 2022 and beyond the, the, the world of the automobile world is shifting and, you know, we're seeing a lot more, you know, electric vehicles and all of that kind of stuff and at some point in time i have a feeling that what we're going to be able to buy at the dealer is going to be very different than what we are going to be able to buy now and i think that also kind of ties into this younger demographic as well what is um what are your thoughts on kind of like where that's going to go as far as how the two organizations can kind of utilize that as a, an opportunity rather than oh my gosh no gas in our cars maybe we're fortunate to have uh, 18 uh, currently uh, automakers that choose to participate with us, whether that's in one of the single make championships or whether that's in, in the multi-class racing. So um, we really uh, need to remain relevant to what is their powertrain cycle plan, their production car cycle plan, 
their propulsion plans. So uh, we're constantly uh, begging for input from the OEMs on strategic direction. I think uh, we want to think about, and we will introduce it a year from now, a, a hybrid system in the top category prototype. We want to think about what electrification could look like in a road racing championship. However, uh, we're still in the entertainment business. And so um, for us needing to put on a, a show with noise, with smells, with sounds that uh, will attract the audience. I think we need to be sensible about how we go about that. And, and all of the auto manufacturer partners feel the same. Um, yes, it's important. Um, there's got to be messaging around it. And we all want to be responsible to our planet and um, our carbon footprint and all those types of things. But we also want to keep it exciting and entertaining um, for those who come on, in person, as well as those who uh, you know, watch us on social media or uh, on a broadcast. You know, Eric, I, I was just going to say, I'm, this is a bit of a left field one for you, because I know we didn't talk about this ahead of time. But, you know, IMSA is an endurance racing series primarily. And as we know, electric vehicles and endurance don't necessarily work too well together. But SCCA has an opportunity there, don't they, with our sprint format to attract possibly an electric vehicle type class? Not that we need another class, but. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a whole other podcast. Yes, think, it but, is. <laughs> um, now, I, it, just for the same reasons John mentioned, to, to remain relevant and to be prepared for the future. Uh, electric vehicles and alternate fuel vehicles are things that SCCA absolutely has to be involved in and, and planning for. And we do, we have an electric vehicle advisory committee that is kind of a cross program committee that's, <clears throat> that's looking at things primarily about safety because we do have some uh, electric vehicles participating. The, the first place we saw that was in, was in Solo. Um, we've had an electric vehicle win a solo national championship in an open class. And, you know, we've got a electric vehicle class now, uh, in solo. Um, when we get into the road racing stuff or the road course stuff and, and John with, um, with his oversight of a couple of racetracks understands this, it's a completely different, um, safety protocol when you've got EVs and hybrids out on the racetrack. So those are some of the things that that group is looking at so that we can be prepared and ready uh, to integrate some of that into our into uh, our programs. But while IMSA really is certainly on the cutting edge um, of technology with this, um, particularly with their manufacturer partners who, who, you know, that is a big strategy of theirs right now. And we want to obviously have things that manufacturers want to get behind and support. But the reality is the technology there and the ability for a hobby racer, an amateur racer to take an electric vehicle or even a modern vehicle, just, just modern vehicles with all the technology that's built into them. We're still kind of uh, the majority of the things that we race are trailing where the market is. Right. Um, there's not a lot of cars that have three pedals in them anymore. Um, and that's something that's, that's really going to become a reality for, for the club. Um, we're starting to see it a little bit more with some of the higher end cars with the, 
dual clutch transmissions and things like that. But um, electric vehicles and the electrification of, of motorsports is something that SCCA is definitely uh, looking into, uh, working on as we speak. Uh, that committee's been around for, I want to say, you know, close to a year now. Um, so we're going to see some more come out of that and, and we're going to have to be ready. Um, but we're, you know, we're not ready to flip the switch and much, much like John said, John, they're in the entertainment business. We are as well. We're, we're more in the recreation business because that's what people want to go out and do. And um, there are some people that absolutely want to go out and race electric cars and we'll have a place for them. Um, but there are still going to be a lot of people that, that want to race uh, internal combustion engine cars. I see a couple of areas where the SCCA can help strengthen IMSA, and I see a couple of areas where IMSA can help strengthen the SCCA. I'd love to get both of your takes on what those areas are and how the two organizations can strengthen that relationship to grow both of them. What do you say, E? <laughs> <laughs> I'll start. Uh, yeah, so, you know, the thing that that first started this was – um, I think that we probably spent more time discussing corner workers um, and, and, and marshals and volunteers than anything. I mean, that was really the impetus of us putting something together. Um, we need more volunteers. Uh, we are a volunteer-run organization. We need people that are passionate, enthusiastic about motorsports and the automobile to be a part of our, of our organization. And in return, we train people, we um, build those teams around the country that, that support racetracks and support racing series and, and all of motorsports. And they're spread thin, they're, they're spread really thin right now. The numbers um, may be shrinking, but, but really more than anything, they're spread thinner and thinner. Um, we have tracks that are rented almost every day of the year, depending on where, they, where they're located. So you need people to support them, whether it's the racetrack that's paying for workers to support it, or it's a volunteer base that, that is supporting it. It ultimately comes from the same group of individuals that are interested in doing that activity. So we need to grow that um, and we need to do our best to in turn support IMSA and their pool of people to support their events, whether it's workers, team members, crew chiefs, mechanics, um, and, and race car drivers as well. Um, you know, there, there are still a lot of, uh, drivers in IMSA that have come through SCCA and are, and are still achieving great success. hundred percent correct. And I think, what I'd like to be a catalyst of, and one of the reasons that we originally sat down and started brainstorming, uh, Eric, Mike, and I, was we have a built audience. We have a weekly newsletter that goes out to 250,000 people that have opted and asked to receive that newsletter. That should be a conduit to helping grow SECA membership because that's their that's their uh, entry point or access point, as Eric's mentioned, into the sport. And it may just be attending an event as a fan, but then realizing once they're there that there's a local region there that they could actually become more active in uh, for those track day events or for you know a more organized event when it comes to town. 
So I want to be that catalyst uh, there to just get people, you know, we, we used to say, uh, get them to the test drive. If we get them to the test drive, um, they'll have the opportunity, we'll have a better shot at, at getting them more involved. So definitely want to be a catalyst there. Um, I think the, the worker training piece, no question, that, that was, I think, one of the foundational elements of this. Um, and not only the, just the initial training, but to Eric's point, there's extra protocol that's coming with electric vehicles and things that um, we're talking about what we're going to do to train workers locally uh, to, get, to get that done. Um, and then, um, you know, for me, the driver piece is, is important. Uh, we want trained uh, drivers that when they come to IMSA, they're ready to take that professional step if that's their dream. And there's no better place to get the experience of wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing than through SECA. Whether you start out at a certified school or you go to an SECA school, you get the proper training. And our group of race stewards, the same folks that Eric visited with at you know Petit Le Mans back in November, they're certifying the drivers that will come compete with us. And if they see a driver that hasn't perhaps gotten the kind of experience that they're going to need when they get into a serious professional series, those race directors will suggest, hey, there's an SCCA race at Homestead. There's an SCCA race at Sebring. There's an SCCA race at Buttonwillow. Go out there and prove yourself. Give us some results. Maybe we can even send a local IMSA driver out there to observe. Then, you know, so, so these two organizations, uh, frankly, in my mind, can't exist without the other. Um, they, they have their purpose. Um, we're doing e each other, uh, I think, a good one to help support the initiatives. Uh, Eric understands and his staff understand what we're trying to do. And I definitely understand what they're trying to accomplish. And, you know, all too often in the history of our sport, everyone was doing their own thing and they were focused on their own thing. In fact, years and years ago, SECA and IMSA were like this, right? Um, there's not enough uh, to go around anymore. And frankly, we need to work together to help one another out because you said it earlier, our, our, our participant um, age is, is, is growing too, too high and we need to do everything we can bind together and make sure that number um, gets, gets much lower. You know, I, I want to dig a little deeper into the driver's side of this in just a second. That was going to be my next step, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. This is the, the downside of doing this virtually, because if we were next to each other in person, I'd, I'd give you a big hug, John, because <laughs> I've, I've been to pretty much every major motorsports series professional event over the last, you know, with all the different organizations, uh, covering them for, 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 you know, from as, as a journalist, working as a, as a corner worker, all that kind of stuff. And almost every time I'm at the track and I see these throngs of crowds, if I'm at an IndyCar race or an IMSA race or whatever, I shake my head and say to myself, every single one of these people in the stands could be an SCCA member. Yes. And how do we, 
work with these organizations to to get us as regions or even as national to to have us a, a presence there besides people in white who the people in the spans stance might not even know that we're SCCA members that's right so so and and I've heard it from from regional executives all across the country where you know if I, if they want to put a if they want to put a, a a booth up at the track for a pro race they're going to get charged oftentimes as a vendor to do that. And and that's a, a barrier to entry for some of these regions who are having a hard time staffing and paying for their corner workers at their own events. So it, it, the fact that you're open for kinds of those types of relationships and is fantastic. And if there is a way to help facilitate that for the regions, um, I know there's regional executives all around the country who would be like, let's get on board with this. Yeah, and I, you know, Eric and I haven't discussed this, and we probably need to get our teams uh, at least get this on their uh, status call agenda. Is exactly that. You know, we um, have the opportunity to, to through IMSA properties own Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, Sebring. You know, we need to, you know, and I'll raise my hand and say that that everybody watching has my commitment to talk to our tracks about doing that. Right. Get a booth on the midway. You know, we'll, we'll we'll do enough business together already. We'll work something out. Right. But the point is, we got to get this going because time's ticking. And if if that local region doesn't have the opportunity to come to an event, put up an easy up and hand out pamphlets and engage these people that are here uh, doing what they love or, or or being a fan of what they love, we're, we're missing the boat. You know, you've got you've got your uh, your audience right in front of you, and you need to do your best to communicate to them. So. Right. Got my commitment on that, Eric. And, well, and I think that there are, I think that likewise, there are probably some things that we can look at doing to um, support that across the series of IMSA events um, and some things that we can, uh, we can certainly get our groups, our marketing groups talking about. Yeah. I mean, when you're, when you're doing a majors uh, or a, a super tour event and the entry packets handed to the participant, we got to figure out how to get, uh, a notice in there about the IMSA race that's coming up at that track. You know, everybody at the June sprints ought to have a have a, a flyer about the August IMSA race and vice versa. We ought to do uh, that type of stuff uh, for you guys as well. Right. And, and utilizing social media across the different organizations' platforms is also, I think, something that, uh, if I can throw my two cents in again, uh, are, are great opportunities for all the organizations to work together. Um Let's shift gears because we're we're coming up on on our time here, and you already broached the subject slightly. It used to be back in the day where if you were to look at the you know the IMSA GTP field in the '80s or the '90s, and if you would set aside the international drivers who have their own way to get to IMSA, the, the North American drivers who are in IMSA, almost every single one of them did time in the SCCA. You know, that's how they came up. When I look at the IMSA, you know, roster today, it's not always quite that clear of a path. And I'm wondering if you see that as something that is, you know, could be changed in some way or if, if you would like to see more of those. You mentioned a little bit uh, for the really younger drivers, I, but I don't see the path being through SECA anymore. Is, is that the case? Well, it's interesting, and I think it goes back to what we talked about maybe in the first segment of how easy it is to do track days. Um, it is, and, and for folks that 
you know, have the resources, maybe have a sports car uh, to be able to go do a track day and just do laps and then maybe do more laps and then get that next fastest car. And then suddenly, you know, realize, oh, there's, you know, Porsche Carrera Cup or there's Ferrari Challenge or so never once, right or wrong, did they set foot in a SCCA school or uh, go to an SCCA certified driving school. Right. And so the ability to get track time is a lot easier than it was years ago. Um, I think once those track time groups uh, get established and have those opportunities for people to come out, then it's that moment again, where it's incumbent on us to get the word out about, Oh, you're, you're enjoying this track day. Well, if you want to compete, here's your entry level uh, place. And that's, that's through SECA, whether it's on a regional basis or a national basis. And then of course, after they get that experience, you know, much like we did uh, at uh, Motul Petit Le Mans was we invited all the runoffs champions to come to the IMSA race to be recognized and have a weekend experience. Then, you know, once they have achieved what they want to achieve in SECA, and if they do have aspirations of, at least running a, a couple of professional races or some of the young uh, talent wants to go all the way, um, then we can be that platform. But um, yeah, it's, it's so easy to get track time now, even though yes, the tracks are booked, but if you, if you have a car and uh, proper equipment, you can be on track much easier than you could years ago. Yeah. And I think that when, when we, when you think about what, people back in the eighties, like when they first got on the track, what were they driving? Could you go out, even if you had the means, could you go out and buy a factory built race car that was already built or, or go to one of dozens of, of prep shops that could build you a car. They could churn you out a car in two weeks. If, if you wanted one, they didn't have that back then. So you had to go somewhere. People were building their own cars. They had to go and race them. And as professional motorsports has frankly become more professional, um, one that's limited the opportunities for the uh, pro-am driver. And I know that, you know, IMSA actually has things that are specifically designed for the pro-am, the amateur driver getting into professional motorsports, but there's just a lot more options out there. There are single mark series, there are track events, there are schools, there are, there's just, a multitude of ways to get there. We've still got people that absolutely came through SCCA. Robbie Foley, you know, started race, you know, autocross. He, he was he was in junior cars, go kart, autocross. Patrick uh, Gallagher. Yep, Patrick Gallagher, Trent Hinman, um, Ryan Norman, Cooper. You know, there there are still uh, a lot of American drivers that did spend considerable time in SCCA. Um, but there are people that, that never got into the club and whether that's because there are other clubs and there certainly are. Um, and that's, that's how they got their first taste of it and, and, and got, you know, got their experience. Um, you know, we just, we need to, I think, continue to do, to provide the accessibility, the access points to get people on the track um, and to help them if their goal is to eventually be an IMSA driver to, to help them down that path. Exactly right. 
John, if I could just ask you one other question, and it's slightly outside of the IMSA purview, but you were with Mazda for so many years, and Mazda clearly saw value in the SCCA and that partnership, which, I mean, you can't go to an SCCA event in any place, whether it's solo or, or road racing, and not see a Mazda racing something. Why do you think other manufacturers haven't recognized that value in the SCCA and tried to capitalize on what the club could offer a manufacturer like Mazda did? Not sure I can answer why, because I, you know, it's in my veins. I, I believe it religiously that um, sort of what I said earlier about all of us IMSA members or participants, SCCA members or particip participants, we're the best advocates for what we do. We're the best commercial. And I believe that there is that exact opportunity. And that is why there was so uh, much of a focus on um, supporting grassroots racing, because we felt like um, those individuals that were racing our product, and I think there's 18 manufacturers here at IMSA that I believe would say for the most part, the same, those individuals are racing our product. What better uh, commercial or what better advertisement could you have than someone that's taken some of your road car product essentially off the showroom, uh, off the showroom floor and put it to the ultimate test from reliability to quality to, you know, powertrains that may be in the back of a formula car or a, a sports racer, um, there's no better uh, story to tell. So um, that was why we did it. I, I hope that others uh, see that opportunity over the years um, because it's, it's a key part of, in my opinion, uh, growing your, your brand's uh, awareness. And then once you, you get them in the brand, uh, their affinity and their their loyalty. You know, I, none of those eighteen manufacturers who are involved with IMSA would be involved with IMSA if selling cars wasn't the end result of that partnership. That's exactly uh, right. So, so my thought is, you know, what would be a great idea would be to have some sort of a way to get some of those manufacturers to when they sell a car, and it put a track night in America voucher in the packet when they hand the owners a packet, you know, and then it gives folks an entry on that end around, which would then bring them back to IMSA. I, I, there's so many opportunities out there. If we can just think a little bigger picture for trying to grow both organizations. Yeah. I, I, if I, if I could, I, I think that one of the things that John touched on was building the advocates and motorsports is a culture, right? And, more than anything, what we've seen Mazda do, for example, is build the com their own community within that culture. Mm -hmm. Everyone that races a Mazda, you know, is connected to other people that race Mazdas. And, and uh, that is something that the SCCA is all about. We are a community. We are a motorsports community. And one thing that can't be lost on this is the importance of building that. And the, yeah. and as we look at building and attracting new worker core, um, attracting new drivers, attracting new members in general, is that we're all part of this big community and we have sub communities around there. 
um, you know, is, is there any more tight-knit group than a group of corner workers that, that, you know, look out for each other, look out for the drivers, and then spend all evening together and, and camp at the track? And, you know, that is a community. Yeah. And that's what we need to continue to work together to build within the greater motorsports group. Couldn't agree more, Eric. It's a sorority or fraternity, and um, we're all we're all members. Love it, love it. Is there anything else, Eric, you wanted to touch on before we start to wrap this thing up? No, I just uh, I want to thank John for being a part of this, and, and you know he touched on it. He got to he got to open and talk about how we've known each other for a long time, but uh, just to, this one of the best guys in motorsports. Couldn't be happier that uh, to see your success at IMSA. And uh, so glad that we've been able to continue our working relationship together uh, between the SCCA and, and IMSA. Same here, Eric. And, you know, I, uh, like you, ran home from school to the mailbox to grab my sports car magazine before my dad could get it. And, and I was hanging on the uh, every word and, and watching people become national champions and uh, to see you achieve your dreams uh, as a national champion a couple times over now is is really uh, rewarding for me. And as you know, I'm um, uh, following everything you guys do and, and can't wait to get to uh, one of the big super tour events as soon as I can. Well, I, I don't think me adding anything at this point would help the conversation. That sounds like a, a beautiful spot to end this. I just want to thank both of you for, for taking some time out of your busy days to join us on SCCA Connect 2022. It's the club's second virtual uh, convention. Uh, just want to remind everybody out there to you know listen to the Inside the SCCA podcast. It's on the Racing Wire Podcast Network. I want to thank the club for inviting me to help moderate some of these forums. It's been a pleasure to get together and talk racing because that's what I love to do. That's, that's my passion, and I really appreciate that opportunity. So that's going to wrap it up for this session. If you enjoyed this, go to scca.com and continue to look at all of the SCCA Connect 2022 sessions. Uh, there'll be a lot more after this one. I think we've still got four days left in the convention here at this point. So tune into that. And also a reminder that every session, once the convention is over, is going to be available on scca.com to all members. So if you miss anything, don't worry about it. It'll be there for ever and ever. Amen. I'm Abby Shear, and this is Inside the SCCA. When I need numbers for my autocross time trial or road race car, I go to autocrossdigits.com. Christian and his crew offer top quality magnetic and vinyl numbers. Their website is easy to navigate. The prices are great and most orders ship in four business days. If you need numbers for your car, check out autocrossdigits.com. Tell them the podcast guy sent you. Joining me on the podcast right now, Lynn Tolland, who is down at the 24 Hours of Daytona. Real quick, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, Lynn. Talk to me a little bit about how you got involved with flagging in the first place. Um, it actually started in the San Francisco region of the Sports Car Club of America. Um, I had done some autocrossing, and I heard they needed flaggers, and I volunteered, and it, it kind of became a sickness. <laughs> That's the case for all those for, for- for folks who might not know, Lynn and I flagged uh, for a number of years up when I was living in Virginia and in the Northeast. So uh, he and I go back a long way. I, I know a lot of his story. So so you're down at Daytona, and this is the 24 hours of Daytona. How many times have you gone to Daytona to do the 24? This is my 24th or 25th straight Rolex. 
Wow, fantastic. That goes back all the way to, what would that be, mid-90s? Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. So you've seen a lot of great races. Now, you are typically in the bus stop and working in that area. For as long as I I remember, you've been part of the bus stop chicane flag crew. Has that been the case since the start? That has been. Um, it is as I like to tell people, it's the fastest corner at Daytona during a 24. Um, and I have only been at the bus stop. I have never worked another corner here. So when you first went down, though, y- you were just like any new person going to any track. Um, I'm guessing y- you were you were just like the newbie at the bus stop. Now you're usually the corner captain, right? Yeah, I had actually been out of flagging for probably 15, 20 years when I came when I got back involved in the mid 90s. <clears throat> and I wanted to do this race. And they allowed me to come down as a, you know, a, a squeaky clean newbie if you will. Sure. And I have uh embellished that and I have allowed many newbies to come down and be a part of my crew. Uh, I took over as captain probably 2005, I think. Okay. Um, and have been in charge ever since. And uh, it's just, it's a hoot. It is, it's a great weekend. Um, there's always some great racing. And it's, it's a lot of fun. So... You know, one of the things I tell people when they're when they're thinking about maybe getting involved with the club or getting involved with flagging is that if you come out and flag with the club, it opens doors to do things like the Rolex 24, the Long Beach Grand Prix, the IndyCar races at Road America. It's really kind of the the training and proving grounds to get you to these big races, right? They actually... Um, the Pro Series and naturally the Rolex 24 is promoted and sponsored by IMSA. And they look to SCCA to provide their flaggers. And that's the same for any IMSA event in the country. IndyCar does the same thing at Long Beach. Um, that is a Cal Club region uh, event. And it, it's all over the country. If you are a, an SCCA license holder, there is a good chance you can flag just about anywhere you want to, up to and including F1 when they come to the U.S. That's right. The uh, the F1 crew for the Circuit of the Americas. And even when the F1 goes to Canada, a lot of, hopefully they're going to go back this year. We, they've taken a couple years off because of the pandemic. But when F1 is at Canada, there's usually a ton of U.S. workers because for a long time there was no U.S. Grand Prix. And the only place for uh, U.S. workers to, to d- go do a race in F1 in North America was Canada. So uh, SCCA workers are welcome very widely in Canada for the F1 race there as well, right? Yeah, if you have an SCCA license, you are considered to be reasonably good. <laughs> Whether that's and true or you not. Can, <laughs> you can flag pretty much anywhere um, within reason. Right, right, right. I do know there have been some flaggers who've gone over to Europe to flag some races, some folks from uh, 
I believe Milwaukee region have gone over to Lamar many times. So really, it's 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 kind of it's well respected all around the world. So so tell us right now, you, has the race started yet? I haven't had a chance to turn it on today. I'm I'm sorry, I missed that, Brian. Has the race started yet, or are we still a couple of hours away? Oh no, we are about just about twenty minutes in. Um, the leaders are already starting the lap. Uh, lead cars probably up to about mid-pack lapping the back markers um, so far so good it's clean um, they're very fast um, and you know knock on wood it stays that way there you go tell us a little bit about the crew you've got with you this year the people? Yeah, the people who are at, at the bus stop this year. They're from all over the country, oh, right? Oh, man. I have, well, I have the Cal Club uh, flag chief is with me. I have a representative of Oregon region. I have a member from uh, North Carolina region. I have six D.C., Washington, D.C. region flaggers that I brought down with me. Um, flagger from New Hampshire, um, let's see, where else? I got one out of Chicago and a couple out of, uh, Buccaneer region. Tell us one good story before we let you go from all of the years. I'm sure there's plenty, but give me one good story from over the years, uh, from both on the track. And then I have a little something to ask you about off the tracks. So you got a good on track story you can share with us? Um, oh man. Brian, there are there are hundreds. You don't have enough tape, um, <laughs> and to try and pick one right now, I think the best one would be last year. Um, I was a big Kevin Magnuson fan when he was racing F1, and when he moved over to IMSA into the prototype, they were actually running second with uh, maybe half an hour to go. And they were catching the leader. But his co-driver kept hitting the, uh, what we call the berm at the exit of the chicane. And it was probably two laps from the end when the uh, left rear tire finally went. And any chances of winning the race were just gone. Um, We were all broken hearted because we want to see Kevin get his watch. There you go. And he just announced this week that he wants to keep coming back to the Rolex until he gets that watch. So um, so half of, me, half of me says I don't want him to get it so he keeps coming back. And the other half wants me to let, you know, he wants him to get the watch. So um, what I would love to see is he and his dad get paired together. There you go. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Now, there used to be a, a mascot at at the bus stop is the mascot mascot still part of the crew there yoda is here tell us the story about yoda oh man when i first came down the corner captain was bill salmon um a florida region uh flagger who had come down out of ohio and we always called bill the corner yoda hmm he had that sixth sense in the back of his head when something was going to happen. He knew, he knew when to kind of lean over and you know get the people back a little bit when it looked like it was going to get sketchy. Um, and when we lost Bill 
to cancer, it was decided that there would be a Yoda. And I have about a seven inch tall rubber Yoda that is currently tie wrapped to the pole because it's really windy this morning or this afternoon. And Bill is represented. He is the honorary station captain. And you can remember back in the day when we used to have to wear, the captain had to wear a yellow vest yep. to identify who the captain was. Well, when those things came along, we always draped that vest over Bill. So if anybody asked where the captain was, I'd always point at Yoda. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. And I would I would end up getting chastised for that. So if anybody's listening and wants to get involved, tell them how to get involved in flagging from a beginner standpoint. Just what, what's the first call to make? Google Google SCCA wherever you are in the country. Yep, go to SCCA.com and... On SCCA.com, you'll find the region closest to you and, and find one that does a road racing program, and you can give them a call. There's usually a flagging chief who is the person you should contact, or anybody in the region will get you to the right person. But uh, that's the best way to, to get yourself started in corner working. And then from there, after you get a little bit of experience, and, and, and depending on the race, it may or may not need a lot of experience, and that can get you to open the door to go do an IMSA race or an IndyCar race or even a Formula One race. So, Lynn, thank you. I look forward to uh, to catching up with you again sometime. I, I, my pleasure, sir. This was no problem to get in the truck and turn the heat on to talk <laughs> to you for a few minutes. And kind of nice being in the truck with the heat. Yeah, it's a little chilly this there. Is, uh, yeah, this is going to be about probably the coldest 24 that I've worked. Okay. Yeah, I remember we were down there, uh, gosh, it must have been 2011, 2012, and I think I was able to get there for one session to, to play with you guys because I was working as as, uh, as a journalist at the time. But uh, that was a cold and wet uh, 24. It's actually better to be cold and dry or wet and warm, right? It It's one of the two. <laughs> I love it, it is right now crystal clear. It is 46 degrees, and the wind is coming off Lake Lloyd at about 25 miles an hour. Whew. That's gonna it, it's brisk. It, it that could make for a very long 24 hours. Fortunately, I'm only here for four hours at a time. There you go. How many shifts do you have to do during the 24? Uh, we do two shifts, uh, four on, eight off. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I have enough people to do two shifts, and as the captain of the station, I'm here for the start, and I'll be around probably for the first hour or so, and then I will go back over to the SCCA compound and get some food, uh, and then come back over about 5.15 or so, and get ready to work the evening shift. All right, Lynn Tallin from Daytona International Speedway. He's the corner captain at the corner captain at the bus stop for this year's 24 Hours of Daytona and many of the past 24 Hours of Daytona. Thanks a lot for taking a few minutes to give me a call, Lynn. Let me let me correct one thing. What's that? As of yesterday, it is no longer the bus stop. Oh, what is it now? It is now Le Mans Chicane. Yes, I did see that. It's now Le Mans Chicane. I'm not exactly sure why they felt the need to change it, but everyone's got to have a name it for is, the chicane, right? It is in deference to our friends in Europe. Yes, yes. And and a lot of them come to race in that in the 24 hours. So 
Oh, I imagine half the field is probably from Europe. Got it. Got it. All right, my friend. Stay safe, stay warm, and enjoy your Rolex 24. I always do, buddy. Hi, I'm Dorsey Schrader, and this is Inside the SECA. Inside the SECA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests, and not that of the SECA.